Praise God. Well, this morning, I want to minister a little bit to you guys on healing. I've entitled the message, By His Stripes, and it says that sickness has no right in the body of Christ. You know, I've been looking over the last few weeks, and I believe that, that we're going to see some great things over the next few weeks. We had a, an outreach last night that turned out, uh, even though it seemed like in the beginning was going to be a little bit slow, it turned out to just be packed with people towards the end. And as you guys know, we're in the negotiations for a new building right now, and I uh, actually got to meet with them um, this last uh, Friday, and we're trying to work some things out because it's going to be a whole lot more expensive than we thought. But praise God, God will always provide a way when he has something for you. But I believe that God's getting ready to do some great things in our midst because as I look around, the enemy has just been attacking the church and the congregation like crazy lately. I don't know if you've seen it, but my son got sick, Michelle got sick, George was in the hospital, Donna's sick right now, she's got bronchitis. I mean, we have so many things coming against the church. We put our signs out, and if you remember, in the middle of service, you guys remember when the doorbell rang? That was the town of Miranda yelling at us about our signs. They, they knocked on our door in the middle of service to say, hey, you guys can't have this out here. And if that wasn't bad enough, then I get a call from one of the other HOAs that are mad at us for putting our signs out for our outreach. And it's like all these things are coming against us in the body of Christ. And I believe that, that uh, God is getting ready to do great things and the enemy doesn't want us to be successful. But I want to focus primarily this morning on sickness because I'm beginning to see a whole lot more of it in our midst, and, I, and there is no reason that we should have sickness in the body of Christ, because Christ paid the penalty for that. Now, it's true that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world where sickness and death flourish because of the fall of man. When, when Adam ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sickness and death entered into this world. And that's, that's a terrible thing. But the great news is that Jesus came and he died on the cross that we could be made whole again, that we could be restored to that same position that Adam had. And I want you to know in that position, sickness has no right in your body. And then I've heard other people say, have anybody ever heard people say that, oh, I'm sick because God's trying to teach me a lesson? God wants to teach me something in my sickness? Now it's true, you may learn some things when you're sick, when you're going through some rough times, you may learn some things. But I want you to know that it is not God that made you sick. There's an enemy that wants to, to kill you and destroy you, and it's not God that makes you sick. No sickness is ever from God. It's a tool of the enemy. You guys remember in Mark 3, 22 through 26, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, and he casts out the demons. And he called them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. You know, God is not going to use sickness to teach you a lesson because it's not one of his tools. He's not of the enemy. And if sickness was one of his tools, why would he ever cure you of it? If he's making sure you're learning so much why you're sick. The truth is, sickness is never from God. So let's take a few moments and let's look at where sickness actually comes from. In, chapter, in Luke chapter 13, 10 verses... Verse 10 through 13 says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues, this is Jesus, on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. 
First thing I want you to notice when we start reading about sickness in the Bible, a lot of the times we see that it's associated with a spirit. This sickness was caused by a, by a spirit. This wasn't, we're not talking the Holy Spirit here. We're, we're talking one of the, the devil's spirits, one of his demons, was, was causing this sickness in this lady. Now it's true that not all sicknesses that we face are caused by a demon. But a lot of them are because it is, it is a tool of the enemy. And the truth is that whether it is a sickness uh, brought on by a demon attacking you or a spirit attacking you, or whether it is uh, a sickness just brought on by, by, by just regular bugs and bacteria in the air, it is a tool of the enemy because it, it has no right in the kingdom of heaven. How many know that if sickness was the will of God, we would hear about sickness in heaven? But the Bible says there is no sickness in heaven. That all tears are wiped away. There's none of those things. Sickness didn't come around until until Adam bit from that fruit and it came into our lives. You know, something interesting I see about this lady who has this sickness caused by, by a spirit is that she was bent double and cannot straighten up at all. She couldn't raise her eyes to the Lord. She was made physically impossible to look up towards the heaven, to call on God, to speak to God. You know what? So many people let sickness do this to them in their regular lives. Because their eyes are so focused on the sickness they're going through. They may have cancer or they may have something that's so bad. And they may not be physically bent double, but spiritually they can no longer raise their eyes to God because they're so focused on their sickness. And that's the goal of the enemy. The goal of the enemy is to keep your eyes off of him. The enemy is going to always try to do things in your life to, to make you look somewhere else other than him because the only way that you can put your faith in God is to look at him. The only way to receive his promises is to look towards him. And any time that you look away from God, the enemy is being successful. But I thank God that even still, even though she couldn't look to the heavens herself, even though she wasn't calling on God, did you notice in this story? It says that Jesus saw her. She wasn't looking for Jesus. She wasn't looking at God. But Jesus saw her and he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. You see, even if you are sick, even if the enemy is having a go at you, the truth is is that God is always calling out to you. Just like Jesus here called to this woman, he is calling to you. He wants you to be free. The question is, will we go to him? You know, this woman had a choice. She had a choice to either go over to Jesus or she had a choice to walk away. And if she wouldn't have went over to Jesus, she would still be bent, well, she'd be dead today, but for the rest of her life, she would be bent over double. So the question is, will we go to him? Are we going to answer his call? The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone would hear his voice and come and open the door, that he would be there. You know, many people have already given up. They're in situations where they have a terminal disease or they have these different things going on and they've already given up and they're not wanting to turn their eyes towards God. But I want you to know that God is not limited by what modern medicine can accomplish. You know, this lady had probably been to plenty of physicians and nobody could do anything for her, but God's not limited by what modern medicine can do. God is not limited by even our our own... uh, imaginations of what we think he can do he can work so much better than that and we see here that when she came to him she was freed from her sickness 
If we continue on in this this same story in Luke chapter 13, verses 14 through 16, it says, But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, can you believe that? He was upset that Jesus had healed this woman. So, But he was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from his bond on the Sabbath day? See, this is that same woman in the last verse that had a spirit, and now Jesus goes so far to say that Satan has been bonding her. Her sickness was caused by the enemy attacking her. You see, the devil wants to keep you in bondage. The devil wants to keep you with your eyes on the floor. He wants to keep you with your eyes away from God because the last thing the enemy wants to see is for you to be free. You see, the the devil knows that he can't win. So the best that he can do is bring people down with him. And then we see that the, the synagogue officials are so caught up in their religion. They're so caught up in these things that they can't even see that God is moving, but they're upset at him. Because he healed on the Sabbath. You know, this wasn't even the only time. In Mark 3, 1-4, through 4, it says, He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. You see, religion is always accusing in people's lives. Religion is always trying to point out what you're doing wrong, all those different things. But Jesus loves. God loves you. He wants nothing but the best for you. And we look at this and we're like, man, these guys are crazy. I would never do anything like that. But the truth is we've all done stuff like that. We've all looked at somebody and and said, Man, look how, how rough their life. They must be doing something terrible. I mean, if, obviously, if they were living holy, they would never have any problems in their life. We've all done that before. I knew, a, I knew a lady once who was told that the reason why she had acne was because she must have some sin hidden somewhere in her life. So God was giving her acne to, to teach her a lesson. That's what religion does. It points and it accuses. But Jesus, he loves In Acts 10.38 it says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You know what's interesting? Once again here it says that he was healing all, so they were sick. And why were they sick? Because they were oppressed by the devil. You see, in this case, all those people that needed healing were oppressed by the devil. Are you guys going to see a picture here that, that maybe sickness isn't from God? He's not trying to teach you a lesson. Sickness is from the devil. He's trying to keep you down. And you know what? It's very effective. That's why he keeps doing it. I've known a lot of people that just want to give up on God because they're sick. And the funny thing is, their first response is, why would God do this to me? They're immediately confused as to who's doing what to them. Because that's what the devil wants you to think, is this is God, this isn't the devil, it's God doing it to you. So they, they get confused and they get deceived by the enemy, because how many of the devil's a liar? They get deceived, and instead of turning to God for help, 
Instead of turning to God for help, they begin to blame him for what they're going through. And at that point, the devil has become successful in their lives, trying to bring them down. In John 10.10, we find that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says that I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How many of you have ever been sick and went, this is awesome? I mean, this, I mean, yesterday I was feeling pretty good, but now that I got this sinus infection, I, I don't know how I could be better. This is amazing. I mean, George, when you were in the hospital the other day, were you, just, you were just thinking how great it was to be in that much pain, weren't you? You know what? Sickness and disease are the work of the devil. If it causes pain, sickness, disease, malcontent, dissatisfaction, anything like that, then it's of the devil. He says a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's here to do. But Jesus says that I, that, <clears throat> that I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, a rich and satisfying life is Jesus' purpose. If you're afflicted and you're not living a rich and satisfying life, you're being robbed of your joy, your peace, and your health, which is what Jesus came to, came to give you. Now, I want you guys to hear me. I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, you're never going to have struggles. You're going to go through some stuff. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to exercise your faith. Matter of fact, the stronger in faith you grow, the, the harder the enemy is going to push against you. One of the, I've said it before, but one of the greatest disservices we can do to new Christians, to new believers, is tell them that, yeah, you get saved and everything's going to be perfect. You'll never have another problem in your life again. Because the fact of the matter is, they'll probably have problems they wouldn't have had otherwise. They wouldn't have became a Christian. But you know what? They got something they didn't have before. They, they're, they're equipped to deal with whatever comes their way. And they can put their faith in God, and God will rescue them from every situation that they're in if they'll trust Him. But the enemy is going to keep on attacking because he wants you to give up. He wants you to turn your back on God. Because once you've done that, then he's won. So now let's talk about, we've talked about, I think we can agree that, that sickness has come from the enemy. And this is just a portion of the scriptures that talk about where sickness comes from. I've actually got a set of messages that I've done before where I spend an entire message just talking about where sickness comes from and how it comes from the devil. How it was not there in the Garden of Eden until Adam took of the fruit. How it's not in heaven. If it was the will of God, we'd find sickness in heaven. And we, we talk about that the enemy uses it and, and God does not. And there's, there's even scriptures that, that, are, that, that talk to that measure where it talks about, do you guys remember the, the scripture of the, the, the man who was, who was lame and, and the disciples asked him, who was it that sinned? Is his father or, or him that sinned that caused him to be this way? And Jesus said, it's, it wasn't either of them that sinned. But now I want to talk about where sickness, uh, now we know where sickness comes from. What does the Bible say about Christians who have it? What does the Bible say about sickness in the lives of a believer? In Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. And then in 1 Peter 20, 2.24, Peter, 
himself quotes this very scripture and, and 1 Peter 2.24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you are healed. I want you to know that Jesus Christ went to the cross and was broken so that you don't have to be. This is both spiritually and physically. He went to the cross and paid the price so that you don't have to be broken anymore. You see, Christ died so that we could be restored to the same stature as Adam had in the Garden of Eden. You know, when, when God made Adam, he wasn't broken. He, wasn't, he had no, no damage, no spiritual damage. His spirit was still alive and, and well inside of him. He was a grown man with no past, no baggage, no, no things that he had, did he, you know, he couldn't, like some of us, he couldn't think about, oh, but God doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know the, the terrible thing, because Adam had no past. And I want you to know that when, when Jesus died on the cross, that's exactly what was restored back to you. Because all of those things, those sins, those things that you may have committed, they were they died and that man was died and buried with Jesus Christ and you were given a brand new life inside of you that's the same life that Adam had it's the life of Jesus with no baggage with no past with no history you were made perfectly clean in Jesus Christ and in the same way when he was broken for us we were made without sickness as well because Adam didn't deal with sickness either he didn't deal with death no sickness or disease existed in the garden until the fall of man. And that's when Jesus died, that's where we were restored. And I've heard it argued that, well, these scriptures are only talking about spiritual healing. And it's true. If you look at just these scriptures by themselves, it's referring to a spiritual healing of the nation. It's talking to a spiritual healing of man. Physical healing is not demanded from the text if you start to dig into it. And I've heard people say that. I'm like, man, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still sure it, it refers to physical healing because that's how man existed in the garden. We're restored to that. Even though it doesn't specifically say physical healing, it definitely implies that because we're restored fully to what man was. But then I had to start researching. I'm like, you know what? You're right, though. It doesn't necessarily refer to physical healing. But I thank God that you don't have to take my word for it. Because that is what the scripture is referring to, is physical and spiritual healing. But you don't have to take my word for it, because Jesus interpreted it the exact same way. How many know if Jesus interprets the scripture some way, we can bank on that's what it means. We don't got to be confused about it. In Matthew 8, 16 through 17, it says, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were ill. And then what does it say? This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah, the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Jesus is quoting this very same scripture right here. Except for he's referring to physical healing. He says that he cast out the spirits with the word and he healed all who were ill. You see, the truth is, is that when Jesus died on the cross, it was for our physical healing as well. And you know what? When Jesus did it, he didn't lay down a list of requirements for people. It says that he healed all who came to him. He says he healed all who were ill. Not just some of them. Not just the super spiritual. Not just the ones who lived their life. You know, they were pretty much good people. But he healed everybody who came to him. 
And every time we see Jesus healing people in the crowds, you never hear he healed most of them or he healed some of them. You always see that he healed all of them. If you remember when we were looking back here in, in chapter, eight, in chapter <laughs> Acts chapter 10, it says he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. In Matthew 12.15, if we just look at the Scriptures in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 12.15, it says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed Him, and He healed them all. In Matthew 14.14, it says, When He went ashore, He saw a great crowd, and He had compassion on them, and He healed their sick. He healed all of their sick. And in Matthew 15.30, it says, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put him at his feet, and he healed them. Every time Jesus healed, he healed everybody that was brought to them. You know, it's funny when people make the argument that sickness is used as a tool by God. You would think that in all those crowds, at least if that was true, at least one of them was being taught a lesson by God with their sickness. But you never heard Jesus say, you know, I want to heal you, but there's there's still a lesson that you have to learn. So come back in a couple weeks. You know, I'll, I'll, be in, I'll be in this town in a couple weeks. Check me there and let's see if you've learned that lesson and then maybe I can heal you. Or you never heard Jesus say, you know, as soon as you work through this thing, then I'll go ahead and heal you. But the Bible says that he healed all who were ill. Every time they came to him, Jesus healed them all. I want you to know that the healing for your physical body and, and for your spiritual self as well has nothing to do with who you are, what you've accomplished, what you've done in your life. The fact of the matter is that Jesus came and died for you while you were yet a sinner. For all of us while we were yet sinners. And this, this provision of health in your body is provided to you just by calling on the name of the Lord, saying, Lord, you are my Savior. You are my Lord and I give my life to you because you gave your life freely to me. We also see in John 5.19, it says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in a like manner. Remember that Jesus is perfect theology. If you ever want to know what the will of God is, you just take a look at the life of Jesus. Why? Because He says that I can do nothing of Myself unless it is something I see the Father doing. So when we go and we, and we see that God is revealed in His Son, we see that we can look at the life of Jesus and see the will of God perfectly. We can know that when Jesus never turned anyone away and He healed them all, we can be certain that that's the will of God, is to heal all who come to Jesus. You know, Jesus never turned anyone away from healing. There's not one single recorded instance. There's one that's close. You guys remember when the Canaanite woman came to Jesus and she was asking for healing? The scripture is, is Matthew 15, 22 through 28, and he says, And behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Can you imagine that, calling to Jesus? And he's like, yeah, I'm not here for you. Sorry. The only person that he ever said that to in the Scripture that we have recorded. But you know what? I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. 
And it says, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The first thing, the only time Jesus ever said no to somebody is because it wasn't the time for the Gentiles yet. Jesus was on a mission. He had a, a plan and purpose for his life, just like we have one for ours. And where he was at that point, he was still ministering to the Jews. It wasn't for the Gentiles yet. Now, it would be coming to the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, as we've looked before at Scriptures, that was always the plan of God was to minister to the Gentiles. It wasn't because the, the Jews screwed up that we got lucky and we got bought in. That was always the plan of God for the Gentiles to be included in the plan of salvation. But at this point in time, it wasn't for them yet. And you know what? Even after that, this woman's faith was so great, she had a greater revelation as a Gentile of who God was than even the Pharisees and the Sadducees of those times. And Jesus said, your faith is great. Your daughter is made well. Jesus always did the Father's will, and the Father's will is for us to be whole. It's for us to be perfectly in line with His will for our life. And that goes everything, all the, the way from spiritual healing to physical healing. In James 5, 14 through 15, we begin to see, as we begin to recognize that it's, it's God's will for us to be healed, that healing has been, been uh, provided in the death of His Son on the cross, there's still some things that we have to do. And we begin to read about them in James 5, 14 through 15. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to pray for the sick. The Bible says that if you're sick, then you call on the elders of the church to lay hands on you. Now, how many of you know that this doesn't just mean if you have cancer? If you have a headache, call on the elders of the church to pray for you, and they'll lay hands on you. And the Bible says that the prayer offered in what? In faith will restore the one who is sick. You know, when we go to God for the, doing these things, these are all acts of faith. When you go to the elders to have hands laid on you, that's an act of faith because you believe God is going to move in the way that He said He would. You trust His word implicitly when He says, you call on the elders of the church and they lay hands on you. That's an act of faith. And then the prayer offered by the elders, we, we pray in faith knowing that, that God will heal you because it says the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And you know, we don't... Something that drives me a little bit crazy, and some people do it, and I don't even think people do it intentionally sometimes, is we get this idea that if we, we get enough people to pray, if I just get, man, if, if I can just get 200 people to pray for this, then God will surely answer my prayers. And I think some of it is, is misunderstanding from stuff like this. We're not, we're not calling the elders of the, of the church because their prayer is better than somebody else's. It's because it's just a commandment of God. We do it in faith. But many times I'll hear people say, oh, you know, we just want people to pray for us. The more prayers I have, the better, because somehow we think that if we have enough people praying for us that God's finally going to be a pushover. You know, he's waiting up in heaven. I'm ready to heal you. If you just get 15 more people to send me a little note, then I'll, I'll finally heal you. Because that's not how God works. God is looking for a prayer offered in faith. 
The prayer of one man offered in faith is greater than the prayer of thousands with no faith behind them. Because those are just lip service. But we need to offer our prayers in faith, trusting that God will do what He says He'll do. The reason why we, we lay hands on the sick is because the Bible says to do it, so we trust God. If that's the, the plan that God has for us to release faith in our life, and we get up there in faith, and we lay hands on the sick, and then the Bible says that they will be restored. It also says here that, uh, that they will anoint Him with oil in the name of the Lord. You know, we look at these things and and even when I used to first look at the scriptures, in my head that was always some religious thing. It was, you know, it's got to be magic oil, right? There's something in the oil. But the truth is, if you take a look at this time period and the history of what's going on here, anointing and oil was just a medicinal thing that they did, kind of like we take Tylenol. That was anointing with oil while there was some religious implications to it. Most likely in this case, they're just talking about, you know, if you have a headache, have the church elders come and lay hands on you and take a Tylenol. Because God, will, how many know that the stuff that we have in this world, the medical professional, these things that we have, God made a way for those to happen. God is the one that gave people the intelligence to learn about these things, design these things. God will use these tools in your life. I've heard it preached that, uh, you know, if you trust God, you can't take medicine, you can't go to the doctor, you can't do any of these things, because if you do that, then you're not trusting in God. I think that's crazy. I think that, there's, that God has put these people in our lives to make an impact in our lives in those areas. The problem we come to is if we stop looking to God altogether and we just look to the doctors. Instead, let's keep our faith in God to heal us and to use the doctors. Amen? Amen. And then in Mark 16, 17, 17 through 18, we talked about the elders of the church laying hands. How many know that you guys can lay hands on the sick as well? You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an elder in the church. Matter of fact, it says, the Bible says that in Mark 16, 17 through 18, these signs will accompany those who have believed. So if you have believed, that includes you. And it says, in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and some of them will get better if they do that. That's not what the Word says. The Word says that if we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. You know, what I love about God, it's, it's, not, it's, it's never an if with God, it's always a win. When His promises are placed before us, it's always a win, not an if. You know, we see examples of this. Do you guys remember when Paul was bitten by the poisonous snake? He was reaching in the woodpile, he gets bit by a poisonous snake after the, after the ship crashes, and they all assume that, yeah, he survived the shipwreck, but uh, this is uh, God giving him his penance by having him get killed by a snake. He just shook the snake off and he continued going about his business. You know what he didn't do? He didn't go, oh God, please help me. What am I going to do? He didn't fall and begin to beg God for anything. He didn't fall and begin to cry out. He didn't even, it doesn't even record that he prayed to God. He just said, you know what? This is what happens to people who believe. They can be bitten by a snake and nothing happens. And he just went on with his business. I think that's a good thing for us to do. We get a headache, we get something happen, just say, thank you, Father, that I'm healed, and go on about your business, trusting God that he's going to take care of what he's going to do. But he picked up, he was bitten by this snake, a deadly poisonous snake, throws it off, goes about his business, and after about a while, he's sitting with him, and they, they keep watching him, waiting for him to swell up and die. How many know if they're expecting up, uh, a swelling up and dying? That's a pretty potent snake. They've seen what that snake will do to people. But he was a believer, and the Bible says that they'll pick up serpents. And it will not hurt them. 
And then this one here, if they drink any deadly poison, some of you guys have heard this story before, but my pastor, Pastor Mike, one time drank hydrochloric acid. If you've ever seen hydrochloric acid, it's clear. It looks like water, and they were at a pool party, and, and apparently in a, a, a very poor idea, they left the hydrochloric acid out for, to clean for the pool cleaning out, and he ended up drinking a glass of it. And he, you know, he just chugged it back so fast that it wasn't until he finally started tasting blood and tasting all that stuff that he realized that he had made a grave error. And uh, they, they threw him in the hospital, or in, the, in a truck, and they were taking him to the hospital, and, and they were praying over him, laying hands on him, and they were praying in tongues over him. And, and when he got there, they began to do the work on him. And, and uh, to this day, you would, I don't know if you drink hydrochloric acid, you probably don't expect that person to talk again. You don't expect him to be singing. You don't expect him. But he gets up and preaches every Sunday morning. There was no permanent damage done by that poison that he drank. You know what, that's, that's the kind of things that happen to those who believe because they trust God to work in their lives. <clears throat> Praise God. And then it goes on to say, this is my favorite part, it says that they will lay hands on the sick. You know what, if someone's sick in your family, you don't have to wait till Sunday for the pastor to lay hands on them. You can lay hands on them yourself. Matter of fact, that's your, especially fathers, that's your responsibility to be laying hands on your family. Husbands, lay hands on your wife. You know you can lay hands on yourself? If you're in a situation where there's no one around you, I mean, just lay hands on yourself and thank God for healing and trust Him for what His Word says. And then it goes on to say, they will recover. You know, one thing that's important to notice about this, though, is, is it doesn't say that they will be healed instantaneously. Now, thank God I've seen healings happen instantaneously. And I've seen healings that don't. George was in the, the hospital this last week for pancre pancreatitis. And uh, he was in the hospital for two nights. He went to the ER. They couldn't get him in somewhere. They finally got him to St. Joe's and he stayed one more night. And they told him that he was, with this kind of sickness, you're going to be in the hospital for at least a week. So we went in there and we laid hands on him. And the next day, his blood count was back to normal. And they sent him home from the hospital. Praise God that God will do amazing things. What should have taken a week, according to the doctors, we laid hands on him and he was healed in a day. Now when I laid hands on him, it wasn't instantaneously, but he recovered by the next day. But that's what we trust. We trust God for those things. See, the funny thing is that's the difference between truth and facts. You know, the fact was that George was sick. He had pancreatitis, but the truth was he was healed in the name of Jesus. Just took, just took a day for his body to catch up to the reality of the truth of the Word of God. In Luke 8, 49 through 55, it says, While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him and said, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John, James, the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He however took her by, a hand, by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given for her to eat. You see, Jesus didn't make it to, <clears throat> to Jairus' daughter. This is uh, Jairus is the, the synagogue official here, and he didn't make it to the daughter in time. 
And the messenger had such little faith in what Jesus could do. He said, you know what? She's already dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. She's already dead. Don't even bother. It's too late. That's not great faith. He said, you know what? It's too late. Don't even bother. But then it gets worse than that. Because they get to the house, and Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to come anyway. They get to the house, and Jesus says, stop weeping, for she's not died, but is asleep. And look at the kind of faith they respond with. They begin laughing at him. How many know that when you're laughing at a promise of God, that that's not faith? And then it says that he took only a few with him. He said, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. There was a whole room full of people who didn't believe in what Jesus could do. And he didn't want that, that around him, that negativity around him. We didn't want that unbelief to affect what he was doing. He gathered around people that would have faith and would trust him. And we see the result of that is that he took her by the hand and said, child, arise. She raises up. But what was the requirement for her to, to, to rise from the dead in this case? What was the requirement? Only believe. You know, our, any of the promises of God are grabbed hold of by faith. Every single promise of God is grabbed hold of by faith. And healing is no different. If you don't believe that God can heal you, if you don't believe that he'll do what he says he does, you're limiting God's ability to work in your life. But if we will just only believe, if we will just trust him, amazing things will happen. We're worried about cancer and all these different diseases that are, that are terminal. Jesus raised people from the dead. Cancer's not a problem. He says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Just believe and she will be well. We see faith in action again in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. This is that same story that we just read a little while ago of the Canaanite woman. It said Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. You know what? She didn't give up. I think as believers, the Bible says with faith and what? Patience, you inherit the promise. You know what? She had faith that Jesus could, could do something great in her daughter's life. And in this case, like we talked about earlier, it wasn't even the, her time. It wasn't the, the time of the Gentiles yet, but she persisted. She continued to trust what God would do in her life. And as she talked to Jesus, Jesus saw her faith by her actions. You notice that that's, that's what, what Jesus saw her faith in? It was because he he's answers her back and she says, it is not, he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She had faith that created an action in her to, to talk to Jesus and say, but no, even the dogs feed on the crumbs which feed from the master's table. And Jesus saw that. You know, that's what we're looking for is faith that produces an action inside of it, not just lip service, but real faith. 
and she trusted in God and she showed it. That's why we talk about when we, we come to the elders to lay hands on them, you can say, I have faith that God will do that, but if, if you never get up and actually ask the elders to lay hands on you, you're not really demonstrating that faith. But she demonstrates her faith, and Jesus says, woman, your faith is great, and it'll be, it shall be done for you as you wish. Because she believed God, her daughter was healed as she wished. You know, I find it amazing that if all we'll do is trust God, His promises become real in our lives. He never says to us, you know what, I would do this for you, but you remember on Monday when you, when you accidentally did that thing, you told that lie, or you, you said those words, you, you remember when you, you busted out in anger, or all, He never says stuff like that to us. As long as we'll keep our faith in Him and trust in Him, He is faithful to us. You see, the reason that Jesus granted her request, not because she was a good Jew, because we know she wasn't, she was a Gentile, but He granted her request because her faith was great. So let's continue to place our faith in the Lord. And as we're coming up towards the end here, we'll go ahead and finish up on this verse. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. I want you to know sickness, disease, those are the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came, was to destroy them on this earth. During his pastoral ministry, Augustine came to know a woman in Carthage named Innocentia. She was a devout Catholic woman, and she ended up getting breast cancer. And she went to see the physicians, and the physicians said, if you have the amputation, if you have your breast removed, you might live a little while longer, but ultimately this cancer is going to kill you. And she began to pray to God, and, and God gave her a vision that she would go to this church, and the first woman that got baptized and came out asked her to come over and pray for her and do the, the sign of the cross across her, her, her cancered breast, her cancerous breast. And when this woman did that, because she trusted what God told her to do, she had faith in what God had for her when the doctor said that nothing could be done. She was immediately and supernaturally healed. And she went back to the doctor, went back to the physician, and she told the doctor what had happened, and he responded with a contemptuous tone. And he said, I thought you would reveal some great mystery to me. And it says, in seeing her horrified look, he backpedaled, saying, What great thing is it for Christ to heal a cancer? He raised a man who had been dead for four years. This is the attitude that we need to have. Instead of stopping to think about these things that are so tough, you know, there's, there's times in my life where I could, didn't even have enough faith to, to have a headache healed. But what God can do shouldn't be limited by what we think He can do. He raised men from the dead. He can surely cure whatever's he ailing your, your, your sick body. And matter of fact, that's the, the very purpose that he came, was to destroy the works of the devil. Sin was a result of the devil, but we're loose from it in him. Sickness was the result of sin, but Jesus destroyed its power as well. And ultimately, death will be the final enemy that Jesus places under his feet when he returns. But until that time, let's continue to place our faith in God. Let's receive the promise of healing for our body. Let's, let's stand against this sickness that, that's trying to attack us as, as individuals, as a congregation. Because we have wholeness in the blood of the Lamb. Amen?
Amen. Let's go and stand our feet.